that I used to do back when I was a bad boss. Now, on my first podcast, I talked about a story during my first performance review and my boss handed me that piece of paper with all those comments from the staff about honestly how horrible I was and how from that time forward, things changed for me drastically because I saw that people didn't like me personally. So as I went back and remembered things differently and identified the fact that I was ignoring the human side behind all those folks, I compiled this list. So this list of bad boss attributes are things that I used to do. These are things that at the time I didn't see a problem with. Now in hindsight, looking back at these things, some of them are downright just asinine, some are hilarious, um, some are, are kind of sad. A friend of mine had uh, had heard the previous podcast about my my first year as as a boss and how poorly it went and how different that is for me now. Fortunately, she said, did you make that up? Because that can't be true. That can't possibly be you. Because if I saw you acting like that now, I wouldn't recognize you. And that made me feel very good. But I told her, no, I assure you, that's all true. And I even gave her the name of the boss she could talk to who gave me that piece of paper, who honestly, I credit for a lot of where I am today in terms of the type of leader that I choose to be. And the honest truth is, I wouldn't be a leader until someone slapped me across the face and gave me a reality check. Now, I was fortunate. It came after only a year in the job. But for some managers, it might never come. It might never dawn on them. And the whole time, they might be thinking, man, I really hate this boss stuff because it's just a pain in the butt. But what they don't realize is it's at odds with their nature. And there's a way to do it that is so rewarding and so much fun. And it's just, it can strike the passion in a leader and all of the folks that they come in contact with. That's what we want to achieve at Bad Boss Survival Guide. But first, I'm going to air my uh, my dirty laundry, and I'm going to go through a list of nine things that I used to do as a bad boss. So once again, consider, is your boss potentially on their way to being a good boss? They're just a bad boss currently, and they need someone to pull their head out of their ass. Number one, I thought that I was supposed to have all the answers. Ah, this is a common one, folks. Almost every new boss, I think, believes that their job is to always have the answers to things and to be able to come up with those answers at the spur of the moment, like very quickly, like, pop, I know this, I know the answer. But they're really just talking out of their ass 
and they don't know the answer, but they're too afraid to admit it because, oh no, I'm the boss, I'm supposed to know everything. If I don't have the answer to this, I'm gonna be stupid and everyone's gonna laugh at me and no one's gonna respect me. Okay, the truth is, deep down inside, bosses don't have a clue what they're talking about, but that's okay. Now for me, back when I thought I had to have all the answers, that's truly what I thought. And honestly, when I was spouting off just gibberish, I thought that I was giving people the answers. So the challenge there was the fact that not only did I not realize that I didn't need to have all the answers, I didn't realize that the shit I was talking about wasn't the answers. You see, when I first started as a boss, I had experience in the same kind of technical area at a different organization. And I thought that, well, I had worked in this larger organization, therefore I knew what I was talking about. My stupid self thought that this qualified me as having the experience needed to improve everything and honestly tell everybody how to do things. I mean, I would talk to staff in conversations and act like I'm telling them things they didn't know. Some of these people had worked in their jobs longer than I'd been alive. So how could I possibly know something that they didn't know? It's honestly, it's kind of embarrassing for me to think about. But fortunately, uh, like I said, I had a boss that showed me the light. So there you have it. Number one, for all you new bosses, you don't need to have the answers to everything. Number two, I spoke more than I listened. In fact, I, I didn't really listen at all. So this and the first one, in terms of having all the answers, they're really closely tied, but they're worth delving into separately. So speaking more than I listened, I did all the talking because once again, I thought that I was supposed to have all the answers. But here's the deeper problem with this one, is I didn't do the listening. It's almost like when I became a new boss, I turned off my mind for learning. I had said to myself, hey, guess what? You've made it. Your job's not to learn anymore. You're not paid to learn. You're paid to know things and have the answers and make shit happen. That's not the case. And unfortunately, when you don't listen to people, they're not gonna listen to you. Leaders know that they need to be listening longer than they talk. God gave you one mouth and two ears for a reason. You don't talk more than you listen. Anyone who does, they're, they're just stupid. You know, it took me some time after my boss brought all these things to light for me, so I practiced just shutting my mouth. In conversations with my team, I would wanna jump in and, and correct them or, or tell them the answer real quick so they know that I think I know what I'm talking about. I had to discipline myself to just shut the fuck up and listen to them. And what I found is something quite interesting, and it's just basic human nature, is that now, because I wasn't always polluting the airways myself, now, when I did talk, people listened. In fact, people were willing to listen more to what I had to say and maybe change the way they think about things because I first was willing to listen to them. So there you go, new bosses. Listen more than you talk. Number three, I always left my guard up and never admitting to not knowing something. So this one and the other two are really kind of intertwined, but not many things irritate me now more than 
a know-it-all type. You know what I'm talking about? The people who just kind of are always interrupting comments or interrupting your sentences or kind of answering questions incorrectly before you're done even asking them. As a new boss, I had this silly belief, like I said before, that I was done learning. I'm not paid to learn new things. We do that in college. I'm, I'm the boss now, so it's like, hey, I'm, I'm here because I'm, I know something. I'm here to know the answers to things. I'm done learning. Not true. So here's the thing. The know-it-all boss is done learning. They might tell you, no, I'm open to learning new things, but I know it's got to be the most unproductive phrase on the planet. Think about a conversation you have with people, and if they say, yeah, I know, to a comment you're saying, you stop talking about that. Not because you're like, oh, they already know the answer to that, but because you know what? They just shut you down. It's not an affirmation of knowledge, it's a shutdown. We've gotta put a stop to saying I know. I'm gonna get into that for like its own devoted podcast in the future. But for purposes of today, Part of my reason for that is because I had my guard up all the time. I couldn't let people understand that, oh, I'm I'm shaking in my boots. They couldn't see the chinks in my armor. I had to be the boss. I had to be stoic. I had to be regal and respectful, whatever the f- that means. The boss has to reveal that you might be smarter than them in certain areas. In fact, as a leader, You welcome that fact because you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. This was a whole lot harder for me than I'd like to admit, but it's totally worth it because since I've kind of gotten into the habit of, hey, admitting ignorance or revealing vulnerability or just being myself, it's led to so many creative steps in the departments that I see, innovations, better processes, better everything, better cultures and better relationships. In fact, I've built some very strong, lasting friendships, and that's okay. Okay, here we go. Number four, I didn't communicate well, but I blamed my employees when they didn't understand my communications. Ay, ay, ay. This one is is another really embarrassing one, but gotta talk about it because I see it happening still. In fact, I hear about it when I talk to my friends who work in other professions and other fields that at high levels that it's like, man, their boss kind of, they communicate like a robot. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So for me, back in the days of my bad bossery, I would make a policy change, let's say. Let's say this policy change was like, okay, only three people at lunch at a time. I'm pulling this out of a passing cloud, folks. But anyway, so I'd spend days, I'd spend hours crafting this, this, this masterpiece policy, this literary work of art. It was, it was honestly bullshit. But anyway, I spent all this time preparing the content, right? But then when it came to communicating it to the staff, I would send a lame-ass email, something like this. Hello, please see attached policy. Let me know if you have questions. That was my robot impression. So, but anyway, that's all folks. That's all I would do. Like I said, I would spend all this time preparing the policy itself, the language, the formatting and all this jazz. In fact, I looked at that and I would show that to my boss and say, wow, look at how great this is. And in his head, he's probably thinking, well, what the fuck does that matter? Are people gonna understand it? But here's the funny part. I'd send this lame ass email 
People didn't work at their computers. They might check their emails once every couple weeks. <laughs> it's just stupid. It's asinine. But me being the alpha tool that I was at the time, I would blame the staff when they weren't acting in line with the policy that I didn't tell them about. Huh. So here's something you learn when you really embrace leadership is effective communication has nothing to do with the eloquence of the message, the in-depthness of the presentation, of the fanciness of the, of the PowerPoint slide background or whatever jazz you've got on your stuff. The effectiveness of a message is only this. Was it understood? Did people understand what you're trying to say? Did people get the message? And that falls on the deliverer. That falls on the boss. That doesn't fall on the staff. People learn, people interpret in all different kinds of ways. And it's up to you. It's up to you, the boss, to make sure everybody understands it. And it's not just a simple click. I sent the robotic email out. Message transmitted to staff. Message communicated. Communication complete. No, that's not how it works. A leader knows that, hey, it's my job to make sure people don't just get the message, that they understand it. And if that means I've got to follow up in many different ways, maybe I send an email, maybe I, maybe I pull people aside, you round, you come out of your office, which I didn't do, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But a boss needs to be the one who takes accountability for that communication piece. Number five. We're over halfway through, folks. We got nine on the list. Number five, I rarely came to staff. I stayed in my office with the door closed. When I was a bad boss, I had a closed door policy. I would get to work in the morning. I'd put down a stupid fucking briefcase that I carried around. Well, because I, I retired my favorite grubby, grungy old North Face backpack because it wasn't professional. Now I carry that thing around and I get teased for it, but whatever. So I carry this briefcase in, really full of nothing. I hang up my coat behind the office door, and that's it. I shut the door. I mean, after all, folks, I had important stuff to work on. I couldn't be bothered. Seriously. So the closed door policy or the closed door office all the time, I mean, it's a facade. It was a facade that I was doing something important. I wasn't doing jack shit. Maybe I was preparing a fancy spreadsheet or getting off on a new pie chart model that I learned in Excel. Whatever it was, don't be fooled, folks. I wasn't doing anything important. That shit isn't important. But I was too small at the time to realize that the tip of the iceberg, these reports, these sheets that I prepare, these aren't important. Your people, your teams are the important part. Let's face it, the tip of the iceberg is the smallest part. A good boss knows that the stuff underneath the surface, below the surface, the iceberg piece that, that took down the Titanic, that's the powerful stuff. That's the important stuff. And you can't put that on a sheet. You can't quantify human joy, happiness, culture. All that is so important. And I was acting in a way that would prevent any positive culture from forming. Today, one of the most important parts of my job is just being visible, just being there. Sometimes I'll sit in my office with the door open, but I'll admit, I'm not doing anything. I'm just waiting for people to come to me with questions. 
or ideas or anything that they need because that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to support them. I want them to have bursts of creativity and ideas. They're not gonna get that unless I'm there. They can't share that in an email. You've gotta be present. And when they come to you with something that they need, you have to follow through on that. Follow through is so important, not only just for your credibility, but for making people feel important. So an open office policy from now forward, that is a good boss's benchmark. And the office of a good boss, it's a freaking magnet, folks. Number six, I thought that bringing cookies or cake would help morale and make people feel good about their jobs. Yeah, that's true. I mean, who could argue a sweet treat? Enjoy these delectable no-bake cookies that I picked up at the gas station on the way in using my reward points so I didn't have to spend any of my own money. <laughs> now when I, when I picture myself waltzing in the office with my box of freaking donuts, it kind of makes me laugh out loud on this one because I get the feeling that people needed a pick-me-up, right? So I would brilliantly stop at the West Coast gas station on the way into work and I'd pick up a baker's dozen of donuts. For those who don't know, a baker's dozen is a fancy dozen. You don't get 12, you get 13 donuts. So that means that I could delight 13 people and make their day wonderful. And right then, the taste of that eclair or that sour cream donut would make them feel good about their jobs. It would make them feel good about their life. They'd be so happy with everything. Hmm. This was my solution, guys. I didn't round on staff. I didn't go out and see, hey, how can I meet your needs better? Or what do you need? How can I help? Back in the day, I would literally bring in a box of fucking cookies. I use thoughtless things like this as a way to address morale. They're easy inputs. It's the same kind of thinking that, okay, let's build trust. Let's do some trust falls. Uh, come on, really, really folks? This is, that's not a way to actually address culture. If you're thinking about things, if you're really thinking, using that noggin, bad boss thinks they can win over staff by bringing in donuts or doing some lame staff team building thing. Trust, sentiment, culture, they are built from nothing other than a way of being every day, not by little inputs here and there. That doesn't mean that sometimes you don't bring in donuts or you don't kind of do it, you don't do a staff outing. Those things are important, but those things devoid of common decency, of presence, of trust, of just goodness, they're an insult. So new bosses, yeah, bring in cookies, bring in donuts, do that stuff, but don't be a dick. Number seven, I pointed fingers at staff when things went wrong, but I'd boast to myself and take credit when things went right. For this one, I don't feel bad, I don't think it's funny, but I wanna punch myself in the throat for this. So back when I was a bad boss, I'd take credit and place blame. Now for me, back in the time, I'd say, well, yeah, I, I did all this. I should get credit. But reality is I was insecure and I was doing that to boost my ego. I was quick to tell people what they're doing wrong and tell them how to do it right. 
and it was a quick boost to my to my insecure, weak little ego inside. I'd even blame them when a new process didn't go right or didn't bring out the result we wanted, but they were doing things in the exact way that I asked them to do them. In the words of the great Stephen Covey from his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, if you haven't read it, read it. His quote is this, you can't hold people accountable for the results when you supervise their methods. That's freaking brilliant. You can't hold people accountable for the results of a process that you don't allow them to develop themselves. If you wanna know how to do something better, you don't go to the pen clicker paper shuffler who sits in his desk all day at the office. You go to the people who do the work every day. And a good boss knows this and they're not threatened by this. In fact, this is just the way things are supposed to be. So to an uninformed leader, this might look lazy. This might think of like, man, they don't have any good ideas. But curiously, wherever they go, people are uh, succeeding and people are in a state of joy and people achieve. You don't look at the boss to define the way they lead, but a bad boss looks at themselves to say, I need to be doing a task. I need to be doing something. No, that's not what leadership is about. Leadership isn't a task. Leadership is about creating a certain environment, certain circumstances. Kind of got off a little bit of a tangent there, folks, but it was good. Number eight, I didn't take the time to get to know the people who worked for me. Okay, this is the one on this list that makes me sad inside. See, back when I started as a new manager, I had this belief, this illusion that, okay, now I'm the boss, now I'm in charge. There's a separation now between my staff and me. Not even because I thought I was better, but because I thought I had to be an enigma. I had to be a mystery. I couldn't share with them what I did on the weekends. I couldn't share with them my hobbies. I couldn't let them see me laugh or that I had a sense of humor. Oh, heaven forbid they see me as a human. Jeez, oh, Pete, folks. But this is the real thing. You see, if I let them know me and I got to know them, it would just make things more difficult in the future. So why would it make things more difficult? Well, because I was the boss. It was my job to hold them accountable if and when they failed. I'm gonna repeat that one because as ridiculous as it sounds, many bad bosses think this way. It was my job to hold them accountable if and when they failed. See, a good boss doesn't see things this way. In fact, if their teams are failing, that's a sign that the boss needs to do something different. Like I said before, leadership is about creating circumstances and environment, and then environment is success. So if you're not realizing that, then you're failing at what you're supposed to be doing. That is the boss's fault. And a good boss knows and believes that it's their job to create an environment that ensures that people are successful. So back to why this one makes me a little bit sad. To be honest, I'm a pretty likable guy. Um, I tend to make friends wherever I go. I'm a source, of, I try to be a source of positivity for people, a source of joy. I'm always good for a joke. So here's an entire department of people who know me as Kurt, as insensitive. Really kind of like a dictator. I put the dick in dictator, whatever that means. 
Dick Tater Tots, like Tater Tots Dick. We should do something like that with the Russian, what's his name, Putin. Talk about a bad boss. But the worst part of this isn't the way these people perceived me. The worst part is the fact that I didn't get to know them. Since I've come to my senses really and developed a passion for the success of others, I've gotten to know some pretty amazing people. And these people have taught me so much. They've opened my eyes to new perspectives that I didn't have before I met them. And it makes me sad that I was surrounded by dozens of amazing people and I didn't even take the time to get to know them, to learn from them, to honor them. Bad bosses, get to know your people and it's okay for them to know you too. Number nine, rounding up the end. I patted myself on the back when people were intimidated by me. So now I've got to admit, I'm a pretty unintimidating person. I try to be cool and I totally fail at it or I try to be a tough guy and it just, it just looks really sad. So I can't imagine how sad this looked back then. But the reality is back then, if I heard that someone was intimidated by me, I kind of got a, an ego boost. I can remember that I'd have conversations with some fellow managers and even some of my superiors and they'd ask, how are things going? And I'd proudly respond, well, I've been doing a lot of cleanup, but things are good. Staff are putting their heads down to the grindstone and working hard. What the fuck? I was proud of the fact that people felt on edge and that their jobs were in jeopardy. I mean, I wasn't just an asshole. I was a stupid asshole. That's the worst kind. Bad boss gets their rocks off scarring and intimidating people. Please, I mean it sincerely. Please don't let a boss like this make you question all bosses. We're not all bad. We're not all jerks. In fact, some of us used to be big jerks, but now we're not. The good boss is here to help you do your job. We are here to make sure you have everything you need to succeed, to work at your highest level, to achieve your potential, to be fulfilled, to be happy. That's all important. A good boss will always make you feel like a bigger version of yourself. They do not make you feel small or intimidated. So folks, that, that rounds up my list of bad boss uh, dirty laundry. This is all very true. And like I said, I can gladly say that when I shared this with a current team member of mine, they didn't believe me. So make sure you consider your current boss. If they're a bad boss, there's potential that they're a bad boss on their way to becoming a good boss. That's what I wanna focus on moving forward is leadership, being a source of good, being a good boss. Here's the awesome part, the behaviors, the beliefs, the skills that make a boss a good boss can be developed by everyone and they don't just apply for the workplace. That's what makes me so excited about this stuff is it's like, guys, we can be a source of joy, of good, of inspiration wherever we go. And nothing but good can come of that. So stay tuned for future podcasts where, like I said, we will talk about bad bosses, but we're not going to talk about them just to kind of drag them through the mud and bitch and complain. We want to learn how to be better, better bosses, better people, better contributors. Bye-bye for now. To the best version of you.